At no point did I think this isn't going to work, even when there were obviously times where it wasn't working. If you do fail, learn some lessons, but let's not glorify failing. If you are a founder, just get on with it. You know, if you fuck up, you fuck up. If you build something great, you build something great. Stop getting in your head about, do I deserve to be here? Well, like, just get on with it. When you want to reach the top of the mountain and you reach the top of the mountain, what's the next mountain? So this is Vulnerable the first founder mental health podcast powered by Founders Taboo. Let's get into it. Nick, how are you? I'm very well, thank good. you. Good. Um, how's life? Life is good. Life is as intended at the moment. Do you wear trumpet t-shirts everywhere you go or is that purely for today because you thought you were going to be on camera? I A bit of both. <laughs> But I'm so sorry to disappoint. The, the trumpet t-shirt is wonderful quality. Recently sent out, and people have been messaging us, going like, "Really? I love this t-shirt." See, where did you get them from? Mm, I can't remember. Sorry, they're not going to get a plug, but it's not. It wasn't a standard place, so they're like eco-friendly. Yeah, but uh, just feel nice. Really? So I've obviously got like four or five at home and I genuinely am just wearing them. I'm like, really? Like Zuckerberg. I'm like, what should I put on today? Trumpet yeah. t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Looks, yeah. looks good. Yeah. Doesn't look like a branded. And it's easy. It's easy. Yeah. Nice. Navy goes with everything. Nice. Um, Can you send me the link so I can, can I, so I can get it done? What, to get a t-shirt? Yeah. Or to make a t-shirt? Uh, both. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have been one of your biggest fans for a long time. Um even though I'm not actually selling your sales software. Um, but I just enjoy your journey. Um, so, yeah. But if you could send me the link to that T-shirt, because I want to get some Faluna. So I I have two Huel T-shirts, right? Mm-hmm. And I fucking love them. They're a bit more elastic-y. Okay, that's perfect, yeah. No, but these aren't. These are just like oh. nice cotton. Yeah. Because Huel are more jimmy, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they are so a, a bit, bit more, more jimmy, but... Yeah, the, the problem with these is nice. that they... Because with two dogs, like the hair sticks to them and it's relentless. Mm-hmm. So I spend up, end up spending most of my time before I go out, like on the lint. Scra- yeah, scraping. <sighs> you need to cover your dogs in cling film. Mm. Uh, yes, <laughs> or just not have such fluffy dogs. <laughs> or not have fluffy yeah. dogs. <laughs> Probably the easier option. Yeah. <laughs> Who thought having two of those fuckers would be a good idea? <laughs> Definitely not me. No. No. <laughs> no, I mean, for people listening, I've literally just tried to get Nick excited about Luna beforehand. And it, he was having none of it. He likes the idea and the concept of it, and he can see it because it's very, I think, very similar to how you build Design My Night in terms mm-hmm. of marketplace SaaS, actually focus on the SaaS marketplace. Mm-hmm. But not a dog lover. Not a dog lover. Oh, Probably the only person in, in the world. Yeah. But you were telling a story about that, you you turn away people from the RSPCA. If they're knocking on my door. Not, knocking, I'm not yeah. like barging people out of the street. No, no. <laughs> but yeah, obviously I don't like door knockers anyway, because really? that's my private space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Um and they're just on commission, let's be honest. Yeah. They don't really care, most no. of them. And if someone, well, people have come up as the RSPCA and I say, they say, do you have a dog? I'm like, no. They're like, do you have anyone in your family that has a dog? I'm like, no. And I'm like, I don't really love animals, I'm afraid. But if you were the RSPCC, I would donate. Really? Um, But I'd rather give my money to children than not animals. But that's just me. That's interesting. (laughs) Um, 
I'm going to get tomatoes thrown at me in the street. Now. Yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, dog yeah, poo are. thrown at me. Exactly. Yeah, I'll do it myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's one way to get me to invest. I know. Throw dog poo at me uh, yeah, until yeah. I do. Have you seen that website, sendshit.com? Yeah. Yeah. Don't. No, don't. I won't. No. Okay. <laughs> Send Haribo, not yeah, dog yeah, poo. Yeah. Um, I actually had no direction that I wanted to go with this episode, which goes against most podcasting kind of guidelines and you're a podcaster yourself um i wanted to bring you on because a i like what you've done on linkedin i love your journey through design my night and then trumpet but equally you've spoken about the challenges you faced whilst kind of growing through design my night right Mm -hmm. and i just thought it'd be nice to have and I don't know whether you've done this before, just have a slightly different interview about yeah. about how fucked up that journey was. Yeah, I'm a very open book, so yeah, yeah, you yeah, can yeah, ask yeah. me anything you yeah, want. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, take me into your kind of journey into entrepreneurship. Like, you were at Nottingham, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, languages. Yeah, and then you went to L'Oreal. To go to L'Oreal for four years. How many languages can you speak? Well, my degree was Spanish and Portuguese. Really? But I can speak okay French, okay Italian. Really? Wow. Okay English. Okay. Uh, a good South African accent. Really? And that's about it. Interesting. <laughs> but can't add up. So that, I've always said that. So like. So I came from an investor meeting to this, mm-hmm. here, this podcast, and I literally had to say, look, I'm really sorry, but I'm shit with numbers. And he was like, I, I like that. Actually. <laughs> I like <Yeah>. that. <laughs> It's like just, just have you, you got know. an FD in the company? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fractional CFO, that's what they're all about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Were you always... Yeah, I, I, I'm still embarrassingly bad at maths. Really? Like, my brain just, no, it just, just cannot add up. Um, and actually, the L'Oreal grad scheme interview, it was like one of the, the most... Back in the day, if you wanted to go into marketing, you would leave university and there was like Procter & Gamble, Unilever, L'Oreal, Mars, Coke were like the main mm. grad schemes. Or so Audi. Like, oh, not Audi. Uh, <laughs> was Audi one? Mate, Audi's got an amazing grad scheme. Oh, really? Yeah. Now, now? Maybe not. But Okay, when I was at uni, like 10 years, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... So it was quite prestigious to get on these things, lots of interviews, and the HR manager at L'Oreal at the end of like two days mm. pulled me in and she was like, oh, I'm going to be totally honest with you, Nick. We're like at a dilemma because your maths test was the worst result we've ever had. Wow. But your marketing one was one of the best. Really? And I was just like, well, you're not, this is a marketing grad scheme, not a, a finance grad scheme i was like i'm really good at excel because i'm terrible at maths i imagine you do most of your finance stuff on excel yeah it's not much mental math no moment you know no if the train leaves peterborough at 12 (laughs) and you know i'm like why are you asking me gcse maths questions to get into a l'oreal grad scheme i still have nightmares over that (laughs) (laughs) and well luckily they let me on and, and the rest, the is, rest history. is history, as yeah. they say, or histoire, as they say. Indeed. indeed. Uh, and not entrepreneur at all, not a flicker of entrepreneurship. Well, my dad, so my dad uh, has his, has still, yeah, his own fashion business. So he's in the fashion industry. Interesting. Um, what does he do? So they design and manufacture for the high street. 
Very nice. Um, so I've always seen that. So as long as I can remember, Dad mm. was like leaving the house at like six, back at like seven, eight. I used to go and visit his office in school holidays. Um, so I've never, and my mum's a, a beauty therapist and actually she has her own practice as well so i've never seen my parents have like a nine to five so that's why you've got such a good skincare routine exactly yeah, yeah so yeah. mum and l'oreal combined this is making serious sense is uh, wrinkle free living <laughs> um so i think that combined but but having said that i never thought i wanted to to do entrepreneurship or be a founder i really? was quite nerdy at school i was quite Uni made me come out of my shell a bit, but I was still very studious, wanted to like get all the best grades I could. So in my head, I was like, if I'm going to go into marketing, I want to go and join a big corporate, work my way up and end up being like country manager or whatever. Um, so yeah, I was never like, ah, oh, I hate the corporate world. I want to be a founder. Um, so it's been there in my background, but... I was never desperate to do it. I was probably more of a bookworm that you'd think would be a lawyer or, yeah, stay at a company for like 10 years or whatever. So how did you get into that <laughs> world? Well, well, when I was at L'Oreal, you then realise in the corporate world, the higher you go up, the less fun stuff you do. Correct. Yeah. And I loved the brand and marketing side of things. And L'Oreal throws you in and you do get a lot of exposure There's great brands a lot of people don't even know most of the brands are owned by l'oreal um it was fun it's young you know it's beauty so you know it's 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 a good fun environment there as well um met davina mccall which is yeah because she was doing a garnier advert um she's a lovely lady i can confirm um and yeah, I just saw what my general manager was doing and she just does reports for Paris, basically, and reporting oh. on the business. And I was like, do I really want to do that? Um, so those doubts started creeping in. And then my best mate, uh, Andrew, who's co-founder of DMN, is my best mate from like week one of uni. He did always want to do his own thing. He was at Accenture, which is obviously like mind numbing. Um, so he he was the one that probably sparked it more. And then if you can listen to lots of podcasts on how we started DMM, but you know, we were both on holiday in New York and that's how we came up with the idea. And then we both just got excited and he sort of got me excited and was like, This we can do this, like really leave the corporate world. So he was like very up for it. That's a that's a big decision though. Big decision. Um, but look, I was like mid-20s, early mid-20s. Mm. You don't really know the magne- the, the good. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. there was less like podcasts and LinkedIn wasn't as big then. So actually there was less information then mm. on like what being a founder actually is. So you're just like, well, look, this is going to be fun. Let's do it. I do have a mindset that I won't fail. Yeah. That's quite big. I don't know why I've got that mindset, but I'm like, whatever I do it's not gonna fail and i had that with dmn and i've got that with trumpet and i have that with my podcast and i have that with my investments i'm like whatever i do not from an arrogant point of view i'm just like i'm gonna make it work to some extent so so what does to some extent mean well i suppose it's what you want from your startup and that changed throughout design my night on like how you know how we then saw it grow like what what is the outcome we want from design my night as a as a first business um and it ended up being okay well we want to sell it and we want to sell it so 
you and I, Andrew, have X amount in our back pocket. So to do that, we need to sell Design My Life for Y because of the equity that we had. So that ended up being what success and failure was for Design My Night. But at no point did I think this isn't going to work, even when there were obviously times where it wasn't working. But I sort of just got that mindset. Do you think it's healthy to have that mindset? I I think the I think that carrying on look, everything I do in my life isn't successful. And I think everything that go on to in my future won't always be successful. That's not what I'm saying. So, mm. um, but I think that mindset is healthy if you then know when to stop. Yeah, right. Interesting. So I wouldn't just carry on if there was no glimmers of hope. Right. Like, okay. and, and I meet a lot of founders where I do want to tell them like, mm. like maybe focus on something different, mm. like stop spending your time and money on this. Um, so I, I had quite good self-awareness i know a few people like that yeah and it's tough but it's really and, difficult. and look when it's your own business mm. uh, as well as all the difficulties you also just think it's going to succeed mm. or you're blinded by because you're so in the weeds of it um so yeah so you know this whole mantra of um failure you know learn your lessons from failure failure is good because you learn your lessons I don't really subscribe to that. I'm like, if you do fail, learn some lessons, but let's not glorify failing. I think that's where Americans and Brits are different, which is why they build bigger companies and win stuff and we don't, is because they have like a success mindset. Mm. Brits is, is very like, oh, well, good effort, chap. Uh, you know, you fail, but, you know, I've learned a lot from failing. And me, I would like beat myself over the head with a stick when uh, I fail. That's, that's the same as me. Um, I mean, ultimately, failing led to me being suicidal in 2020. And I had to completely reframe my entire relationship with failure. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. I, I I still do beat myself over mm -hmm. the head with it. Mm -hmm. And I kind of have to sit there and go, this is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I never, ever, ever, ever in the moment think it's a fucking good thing that I failed there. Yeah. It's painful. Yeah. Because look, whatever you set out to do, you, it's not to fail. Yeah. And I think what you've said is very interesting in as much as you need to strike that balance. Yeah. So like if I'm setting out and I fail and I'm angry at myself, I'm pissed off with myself, I'm not looking for the lessons. That's fine. But then I put it in context of my life. Interesting. And I'm like, okay, well, this isn't good. And I'm not going to glorify my failure and post about why this failure is amazing. I've been, I've been, um, but you move on. I've been guilty of that. Yeah. As I built my personal brand. <laughs> no, I, I, most people are. You, you know, yeah. it, it's a like getter. Is like, it you is, know, yeah. I fucked up, but it's, this it's is nice what I've to learned. See, it's nice to know that you're on the same page when it comes to <laughs> strategy there. <laughs> <laughs> if there was a cross uh, yeah. emoji or whatever, yeah. I would hit but that. Do you know what? Talking about LinkedIn, because obviously you've... Um, I looked at how many... We've got this, about the same amount of followers. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Um, but... It's really interesting to see your content because the last two months, uh, last six weeks, I've I felt like I've kind of gone down the wrong path with some of my content. Mm -hmm. There's been some brilliant posts, mm -hmm. um, but there's also been some posts which I was I wasn't proud of, mm -hmm. and I was a bit like, "That's not really what I'm trying to say, nor is it about me." Yet, I, and so when I saw your posts recently about the, breaking down your fundraise. Mm -hmm. It gave me a lot. I was like, actually, do you know what? This is what LinkedIn is meant to be about. 
yes, you can write some like really inspirational, like quite meta posts yeah. a lot of the time, which I'm guilty of mm-hmm. when I'm a bit low on content ideas. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, it really inspired me to actually be like, right, what parts of my of my world can I break down for other people? Mm. And actually, they're the most important posts. Yeah, and you know, well, that's I did a series of four of our trumpet fundraise, which did get very good engagement. Really um, good. But a lot of like the business lessons are actually don't, or they're not that they don't get good engagement. But if I post something, I don't, I never post about like my personal life apart from LGBTQ stuff, but not like here's a picture of like me and my other half like that's not my vibe on any social media um so i keep it quite business Mm. but if i do anything a bit more personal yeah yeah you get all the likes but actually for me yeah it's just vacuous like it is and i'm just like actually my whole brand of what i'm trying to do on social and i only really have linkedin i don't use any other social media is help like educating people like i Again, from a totally unarrogant standpoint, there's a lot better founders out there than me, but I have built and sold a company, which is a, what a lot of people that follow me aspire to do. Um, That's a nice way of putting it. And I learned true. a lot. So yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. okay, well, and now we're doing it with Trumpet, all the learnings that we got from Design My Night, we're trying to put into Trumpet. And again, I'm not saying Trumpet is this mega success. We're very early, but if I can then share the learnings that we're putting into Trumpet from our 10 years at Design My Night, mm. hopefully then other founders can can do that. So that that raised one, I got a lot of um, messages on like how much it helps and stuff, which is worth a, a lot more to me, yeah, me than too. an extra 100 likes. Yeah. It's interesting because um, I don't know if you've seen this yourself the one the posts on like what I thought would be really really insightful about how we're building the company or like a screenshot or like a demo absolutely tank yeah and I'm like wow <laughs> <laughs> okay I think you've got to people don't like this well, <laughs> I, I, and the, the realism is I mean this is very social media is in a weird sort of way people don't really care what you're building yeah no they don't um it's not at all and, you know, if you think how quick an interaction is to get mm. a like, it's so quick. So they're not really thinking about, you know, the dog training software. They, no. they like you, which Correct. is great. Um, but, yeah, it is a bit of a shame that, you know, the more personal stuff will always... Uh, and I, I speak to someone that I speak to at LinkedIn and I, I, eat, I air that grievance. <laughs> Who's but, that? Just like one of the creator... Well, uh, so I I know Daniel Markovitz. No, guy. it's not Daniel. What was it? There's, um, a, there's another... There's a woman, actually. It's not a lady. Oh, right. I can't remember his name now. Oh, right. Well, I speak to him once a month right, about okay. like, content and yeah. they push like, Are new features. Are you on features. that creator program as well? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Um, and I say to him, I'm like, look, I'm not going to go into that. Mm. That's just not the content I do. I'm on LinkedIn to give founders business. And I post about investing, so people Mm. that want to invest as well. Um, Yeah, it just feels more genuine to me. Mm. Everything I try and put out is, is, here we go, genuinely genuine. Mm. Um, My whole ethos is no BS. Authentic. Yeah, in the office as well. So like how we work at Trumpet is like, let's not beat around the bush. Let's be less British about it. Yeah. Um, which I was probably guilty of at Design My Night. Um, so I just want to sort of cut to the chase a bit more without being rude. Interesting. Um, 
And you have to be this because there's only so many hours in the day. I know. I know. Yeah. I am. Um, I always find that my mental health posts, yeah, they can give me that dopamine rush because I get like thousands of likes. But actually, it's they're my favorite posts because, yes, like I have to personally share my story. Mm-hmm. But equally, the amount of impact and reach that can have is just makes me feel like I'm kind of doing my bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to see you, you doing your bit is obviously sharing your story from a business point of view. DMA, yeah. yeah. And mine is kind of sharing my story as somebody who wants to be an executive founder mm-hmm. and somebody who suffers with their mental health. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I have genuinely been inspired by people like yourself and others that talk that I can, I can, I feel like I can see genuine people talking about their mental health and not just a post about mental health for the sake of a post about mental health. That's nice. Um, and look, it just it's you know we're humans and we like to belong to tribes, and yeah. I think that you know, and I'm by no means a mental health expert, um, but you know, probably it's you know you you don't you feel in the moment that you're the only one feeling like that Mm. um and you're odd and strange and why do i feel like this and i'm never going to not feel like this um so it shows other people that are doing well and thriving but are still in your tribe as well Mm. that shows you can do that Mm. as well Mm. um you exited dma to the access group wasn't it to the access group. yeah nice um what fuck ups did you have at dma um that actually like impacted you to the point where you were like, oh my God. So Design My Night was, was, it was, it was remarkably steady. Um, like we've got a module written about us at um, the London Business School because um, about just like almost like 101 building a startup because we think we only took like angel money. Um, we, we got it profitable. Very few major bumps and then sold it so it's sort of you know it took longer than today's startups prefer to sell but um you know without blowing the doors off on being like billion dollars and stuff um it was a very by the book startup i think that's what i'm trying to think um so we, we 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 had very few like huge like fuck um you know i mean the original business plan wasn't the business plan so we pivoted to software like two years in so that was a huge decision uh, to flip the whole business from content to software so you know that meant getting rid of half of the content team and hiring more devs customer success account management um you know we were a pure play media business before that like timeout um so that was a that was less a fuck up but just a huge decision mm. and and mm. the original idea wouldn't have been successful if we didn't pivot can we talk about that actually because i think um pivots founders go through every single day Mm. um the big pivots do though Mm -hmm. make you feel incredibly uneasy because you're unsure of what comes next yeah um how did you approach that pivot and like how did you manage that it was almost like a new business so we it wasn't our idea either to to build a, a Back in the day, it was a software for bar booking, so like open table for bars. Mm. And then it went into restaurants to compete with open table, but it started as a booking software for bars because they didn't have a booking software. And bars are a lot more complicated than a restaurant. Um, it was actually a, a bar 
partner, so a marketing manager at one of the bars that worked with us as the marketplace design by night. Um, she just said, ah, oh, you guys should think we use open table and it's not fit for purpose for a bar. So we looked and we couldn't find anything, something you should think about. So we were like, mm, okay, interesting. Um, so we did. So we went away and like a new business, we then spoke to other partners, bars, pubs. Um, what did you find the problems were? So a restaurant, um, I won't go into the depths of a booking software, but just know when you make a booking at a restaurant, there's probably like 60 settings behind each table on like the, com the complication is astounding of a booking software for, for restaurants. But bars, if you think a restaurant is like a table of two, a table yeah. of four. Okay. We might be able to push that four and two together to make a six. A bar is standing couches, bar top stools, deposits. So we were the first so software in hospitality to take a deposit at the point of booking. Everyone does it now. But we did that because of the bar industry. Wow. And then it was a great way to stop no-shows for restaurants. Mm. And now they all do it, but we were the first ones to do that and take card details as like a pre-auth rather than a payment. So we we were the ones to actually launch that in the industry, which came from the bar industry because you took deposits. But in the bar industry, you would have to phone up, speak to someone. They would go down to the card machine while you were on the phone, yeah, tapping your card details. So we were like, this this can be done better. Pre-orders are bigger, well, bigger but in the bar industry. So do you want a bucket of beers and some cocktails ready for you on your table? So we had to build a pre-order software as well. Um, you had the notion of guest list queuing. So we built a queuing software as part of it as well. Um, wow. So it's very compared to an open table, which is mainly, can I book that table of two and yeah. then have a good, you know, the floor plan that you'll see when you go into restaurants at the host desk. Um, we had to build all of that, but then all this extra functionality. Um, okay. Here's a good question. Mm -hmm. If I may say so. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I'll score it out of 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, most people don't know how to build software. Mm -hmm. I, I count myself in that. Mm -hmm. um, every day is a school day. Mm -hmm. But you built incredibly complicated software, mm -hmm. as you've said yourself. Mm -hmm. um, the imposter syndrome, I imagine, like I said, I imagine is, accompanies that, is quite savage. Mm hmm did you did you contend with that did you did you at any point go fucking hell what are we doing here well so a we had a great so when we first raised our angel money we hired um our cto will who was a friend of ours so we knew him he worked at google uh, absolute genius dev guy so we had him from a technical point of view because we're both non-technical mm. So that was very useful. It would mean a lot harder without him to have that in-house and his expertise on physically what we can build and how we structure it. We never really had imposter syndrome in as much as, I think if you, A, if you trust your own, with, you know, people that meet me won't say I'm arrogant, although I'm sounding very arrogant on this podcast, but I think you've got to be... There's a difference between self-confident and mm. arrogant. Mm. So Andrew and I, Andrew more so than me, that has a, just a very good gut feeling. Right. We feel like we know. That's not arrogant. That's just self-aware. But it's this, just, you just know, you know, when you're building a software, if you take out the technical aspects of it, because we had someone to do that, you just, you've just got to, 
not overthink stuff. Mm. I think that in life, I think we just over, we freak out about things where you're like, if you just simplify, you know who's going to be using this and the complications that they're going to face. So how can we make it simple? Mm. We know what looks good. Like you can have reference points. So mm. for us, for example, Airbnb was always a big reference point from a design point of view. So, you know, nothing's original out there. So like... No look at other software um get inspiration from them we've we've done that with trumpet by the way <laughs> what taking inspiration yes okay. some of it yeah uh, and we've taken inspiration from other great yeah. Sassy, uh, <laughs> yeah. solutions out there <laughs> and one, once you put that with your own gut um you know believe it or not and rory who's our, our third co-founder at trumpet when we told him this he nearly spat out his coffee like we literally we put the designs for a new feature we did it in powerpoint so andrew and i because we're just very good at powerpoint because we're of a certain vintage did not figma or anything literally just drew it out on powerpoint and we're like okay this needs to go here this button needs to go here you know our you know will you know our you know design uh uh you know you know what our design is you know what the button looks like you know what color the button needs to be and we literally like, and then if you click this button, next slide, this is what the screen looks like. And we could just draw that out so quickly on PowerPoint. Uh, we never had a product manager at Design My Night. Uh, we had three SaaS systems. Andrew and I were the product managers. Uh, and to the end, we were like mocking stuff up on PowerPoint, dropping it into GitHub and being like, this is the vibe we want. This is how it should look. Um, and then obviously the dev team would make it look proper. Did you get pushback from that? Um... Because my dev team would lose their <laughs> shit. Like most most dev teams, that, that's an extraordinary way of working. <laughs> extraordinary is one way. Yeah. Hey, can I ask a massive favor? Can you subscribe to this podcast right now if you haven't already? Your subscribes, your sharing, your liking, your commenting all over social media is increasing our reach. And it's meaning that founders out there know it's okay to talk about their mental health. Thank you. So I wanted to give a massive shout out to our sponsors, Founders Taboo, the headspace for founders. Founders Taboo are building the world's largest free online course and community for founders' mental health and well-being. The course has been designed in five chapters covering startup-specific pressures, well-being and recovery topics. Therefore, whether you are a founder, you're an investor, you're an employee, you're a family member, or anyone with an interest in founder mental health and well-being, this is for you. They want to make it super easy for founders and the people around them to learn about founder mental health and well-being in the startup ecosystem. If you want to go check them out, go to www.founderstaboo.com. No, we're like, because we had like very good processes in place. But I think just because, especially because we'd built the software. So like when you're building extra features, you know how everything should look and feel. Um, so then when you're just building new modules to it and new screens, you know, you should know what 70% looks like before you even think of anything else that you're going to add to that screen. So basically, it's just like, where do the buttons go? What buttons here? What icons do we want here? How can we make this quick and easy to use? Mm. Like, what shortcuts can we put? So we were just very big on like thinking, it's a cliche, but thinking about the end user. Mm. 
how can we make their life easier? So with Collins, it was how can we make a busy reservations manager life much easier? Mm. With Trumpet, at the moment, it's salespeople. How salespeople on the go all the time. Mm. They don't want to be doing admin. How can we like make them sell better and quicker and easier? So like all different like shortcuts and quirks are built for that particular target market, thinking about how they use the system. So it sounds slapdash, but at the same time, we would shadow sell, uh, reservations managers. So we would go and do a service really? and stand behind them and watch how they interact with the products. Like what, you know, what is tricky about seven people walking in, two not having a booking, three do having a booking, knowing where to put everyone, knowing to put it in a certain server's area. Like there's a lot of complications. And you just watch them and you're like, okay, well, that took them five clicks that should take two clicks like what can we do mm -hmm. so it's less technical and more just common real sense. life yeah, yeah it's common sense a lot of it is common sense i think we overthink everything um and you know it's like death it's like death by paralysis of like 58 decision makers mm -hmm. um yeah. on something that should be quite simple um and look as as the design my night booking tool got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger you know, we probably could have had like a, a product designer, which again, we never had a designer night being like, okay, it's starting to be a bit Frankenstein, like bolt on, bolt on, bolt mm -hmm. on. Yeah. We could probably do it a lot better. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure it could have ended up looking better. But again, coming from the antiquated systems they were using. It got the job done. And, and in, in their world just looked so much better to the, the older systems they were using. Um, so yeah, I just think people, uh, yeah, just, just need to chill out a bit more. I think people overthink stuff, get in their head too much. Like, fuck imposter. Like, what, you know, this imposter syndrome, it's just like, well, look, you're a founder or you're not a founder. If you are a founder, just get on with it. Yeah. And, you know, if you fuck up, you fuck up. If you build something great, you build something great. Stop getting in your head about, do I deserve to be here? Well, like, just get on with it. It doesn't yeah. matter whether you deserve to be here. Mm. Like, if you're doing a good job, you'll find out. And if you're doing a bad job, you hope your team would tell you. Yeah. Which is another important factor is the team you put around you. And just get on with it. I like it. <laughs> it's something, yeah, around mental health where we do just live in our heads mm. all the fucking... I mean, I'm the worst for it, yeah. honestly. And I know it's easy for me to say as someone that <sighs> doesn't suffer from, you know, any form of severe no. mental health. Uh, and it's almost fortunate that I can think like that. Yeah. But if we can train ourselves to think more like that no but it's true then it would you're, benefit people like yourself you're absolutely right um yeah like i haven't got a drink here god knows what i'd be saying <laughs> well yeah i mean i was gonna say do you want to go for a beer <laughs> um i have budgeted that for time but i'll post post recording um the hardest so we had do you know roy samuel from connected no right so he exited a company called Real Sports, which is an esport company, founded Connected. Um, and um, they're a marketplace for investors with f founders. Um, and he, when he sold Real Sport, he said that it was one of the most, uh, I think the exact words from that episode, uh, which are out now actually, but were, was, I didn't care if I lived or died in that moment because that process of acquisition was so brutal. Mm -hmm. Like you're on one hand, you're waiting for like 3 million quid to drop in your account or not. Mm -hmm. 
did you experience any anything like that? I mean, the the uh, for me the acquisition process. Ours took about a year, eight months, um, from let's sell to selling. Um, and sorry, sorry, mm. that's really interesting. Let's sell to selling. Yeah. When you came to that decision, yeah, with Andy, yeah, Andy or Andrew. It would like Andrew, yeah. Andrew, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Andy. Andrew, fuck's sake. <laughs> when you came to that decision with Andrew, yeah. what did you do after that? Because I assume you're WhatsApp each other or sat there going, fuck this. Um, <laughs> it, was a bit more, yeah, yeah. it was a bit more strategic yeah, yeah. than that. <laughs> yeah. uh, but you're, you're sat in a room going, let's sell this. What yeah. did you do after that? So we uh, spoke to brokers. So we engaged brokers. So we did a very by the book, as I said before. Um, so our investors introduced us to brokers and we asked the community if they had any brokers. And we sort of did our own mini roadshow for probably a month with different, different brokers. Um, some didn't want to take us on because we would have been too small an exit for them. Um, others were, were delighted to take us on. And then it was more like, how do we personally feel about them? Because you, you get you know, super close to your brokers uh, throughout the whole process, spending a lot of time with them. Um, and then, yeah, made a decision on a broker. And then once you sign all the paperwork with them, um, they come in and understand your business. So it's basically like sitting in a meeting room for like a week, like just tell us everything we need to know about the business. Cause obviously they don't know anything about of course. the hospitality booking space. Uh, so literally tell us everything, you know, blah, 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 blah give us your financial model that you, you you use and then they redo your financial model for you um based on everything you've said um which again that will takes quite a long time and then you start to put together the im which is your deck that you use to sell your business so it's about 80 slides um but th th they put it together for you which is why they're extracting all this information from mm. you. So where's the business come from? Where's the business going? Threat. But it's like, you know, it's like a, a huge deck you use to raise money, essentially. Um, and then that goes through a ton of iterations, as you can imagine, um, with them and us going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, and then you're sort of in the broker's hands. So then the broker, um, funny enough with us, sat us down was like, who do you think you're going to sell to? Or who, who, do, who should we be approaching for your business? Uh, like we've got our ideas and obviously we only know the public ones. So like open table, book a table. Were they the ones you said? TripAdvisor. Yeah. So we said TripAdvisor, Eventbrite, book, uh, book a table, open table. Um, they're like, great. Yeah. Okay, that all makes sense. Um, there's obviously some like PE houses that own some of the software that we mm. weren't aware of. Um, a, um, a lot of potential acquirers in Asia that we'd obviously never heard of, which is their job that they know all those people. Um, he did say though, he was like, okay, we've got our two lists here. I guarantee you, we're not going to sell to anyone on this list. Um, and access weren't on either of our lists. Wow. Um, so he was right in that, but on his experience. Um, what, what what that's a bizarre process to go through building two lists knowing that you're not <laughs> it seems utterly pointless well I, well look I, it, it was a bit tongue-in-cheek um you know there were offers from people on that list right um they weren't high enough or good enough or uh so the, the offers so we, yeah we can jump ahead to the office stage so the office stage so you know you go through loads of chats and interviews with all the different people from all the different businesses and then you get to offer stage so when you when you're thinking about your offer it's not just the money. So the biggest thing in in a deal is that it can fall through 
at any time, even if they're like so buzzed off your business. Um, we had that with one business, American, won't say who, was super buzzed. Their their head of acquisition, uh, mergers and acquisition was just like all over us, like loved what we were doing. But then they decided they were going to go public and all acquisitions were on hold. So overnight, that was a no. Um, How far did you get with that business? Um, like we'd met them like, no firm offer. We'd met them right. like three or four times um, and super positive conversation. So it can just change so quickly. So we got to a point at offer stage where our broker said, okay, these are the offers you've got. This is how long they're going to take to close. And don't forget, you know, let's say company X that have offered ABC amount of money <laughs> will be like a three, it could be a three month close. Within that three months, anything can happen and they can pull out. Access are very skilled acquirers. That's what they do. They acquire businesses. Um, said to us something like, we will get this closed within like three weeks. So the cash is there. It's ready to go. We're going to do very light due diligence. Uh, we like what we've seen already. We like you and Andrew. Um, we will just get this deal done if you go with us. Um, so we turned down their offer a few times in terms of actual value. And then it was like, uh, this is your final offer from us. If you say no, we will walk away. Um, so it was actually our broker who put things in perspective very well for us. And we, I remember that chat and he was like, look, Access are offering more than you guys wanted when you met me uh, to sell the business. Um, yes, these two others will probably offer more, just the nature of how they do deals, but it could take three or four more months. So do you want to risk saying no to access, yes to them, and then them not actually following through? Yeah. He was basically saying, don't be greedy, is yeah. what he was trying to say in a nice way, because mm. we were obviously paying him a large sum of money, so he didn't want to call us greedy. Um, but he was right, and Andrew and I were like, yeah, you know what, yeah, you're right. Another big thing to consider is the earn out. So the earnout has lots of different terms and conditions in there. You know, ours was two years, which we weren't delighted about, would have preferred a year, but it was okay. Ours was a revenue-based earnout, um, which is better than an EBITDA-based earnout. Um, and they put certain mechanisms in which were quite friendly. You know, basically, like, if you can just carry on running the business like you are, you'll hit your your earnout. Um, so that was a big factor as well. So, you know, we got about 60% of the cash up front and 40% tied to the earnout. So the earnout was a big consideration for us. Mm. So there was quite a lot to consider. It's not just here's the offer on the table, take it or mm. leave it. Um, and then, yeah, once you accept the offer, you go into a period of exclusivity. So you can't speak to any other acquirer. And then they're under time pressure to get the deal done as well. Um, and then, yeah, so that took, took like three or four weeks. It I won't go into the story now, but it, ne it nearly fell through on the, the day of closing. So we were meant to go to the... Can you go to it? <laughs> it's quite boring. <laughs> well, uh, but the impact that has on you... That was the hardest part. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we were meant to go to their lawyer's office, like fancy London lawyers. Um, at, I think it was like 9am. We told the team the day before that we were selling the business. Um and we'd booked a bar at like five o'clock and said, uh, we're all going to head there. Andrew and I are signing. The acquirers is taking us out for lunch and then we'll meet you at this bar and we'll celebrate, you know, the success and how, you know, how, what everyone's done for us to, to get the business to this stage. And we got a phone call at like half seven from our lawyer. Um, I, re I remember, I was, I remember exactly where I was sitting at home when the phone rang and he got Andrew on the call as well. He's like, what do you guys know about 
PSD2. And we were like, I don't even know what that means. PTSD2? Something like that. <laughs> Post-traumatic PTSD. <laughs> it's probably not even called PTSD2. It's basically a payment law that the EU recently, well, recently back then, right. brought out. And we were like, we literally have no idea what this is. He was like, no. okay, well, Access are asking what our contingencies are for this new law. Is it going to affect the business, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we were like, okay, well, we actually have never heard about it until now. So we used Stripe. We were actually one of Stripe's earliest partners in the UK. So we really? were very close to Stripe. Um, we used them for our ticket software as well. So mm. we put a lot of money. We were a very good customer of Stripe. Now, there were, you know, would have been a little goldfish to them, but they looked after us, to be fair, and we were one of their early sort of UK customers. Still speak to the account manager we had today. Um, and we phoned him. We were like, and we couldn't tell him we were selling. So we were like, oh, what do you know about this PSD2 law? He's like, yeah, da, 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 da. I was like, okay, great. I need to get you on a call with like our investors because they're a bit nervous about it. But it was basically like six of the acquiring team. Um, and just they're going to ask you some questions and just answer it confidently and explain why, because we're with Stripe, it's all fine. He was like, only problem is I'm on the way to hospital because my wife's giving birth. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, so we had to delay. He was loving it. He, he was like, I will jump on a call. And we were like, no, no, you really don't have to, but can we get someone else? Because we do need to do this today. But he did, bless him, um, after a very successful birth. Um, so that was late. So then we didn't have the call till like four o'clock. And then... They, the the access guys and girls didn't really say anything on the call that gave us indication and then we had to wait another hour after that call where our lawyer phoned us and was like okay it's still going ahead what was going through your mind in that hour because <sighs> that's where co-founders help so really? i think we were like andrew can sometimes get into a bit of a doom land sometimes mm. and i tended to lift him up in that circumstance i was like no look, it's going to be fine i think strike gave good answers They've done so much work. They really wanted to buy us. I think we got that vibe. Um, you know, so sort of lifting each other up. I'm like, no, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. At this time, we knew the team were going to the bar to celebrate. Um, and, you know, we were meant to be there first to welcome all of them. We hadn't even gone to the lawyer's office to sign at this point. So we had to like text someone at the office, be like, oh, there's some holdups, but, you know, there's champagne waiting. Just start the party without us. And then we went to the lawyer's office and we literally, the lawyers were still wrangling over. So it's very cool, but you have like this whole floor, a deal floor to yourself. And you're in one room with your lawyers, they're in another room with their lawyers. And then you have the deal room where all the papers are laid out. And you don't talk to each other before that. So we never saw the access people at that point. Wow. And we were just in this room. And our lawyer was going back and forth with their lawyer. And we were like, have you not fucking sorted this contract out yet? Like, we've been working on this for months. It's surreal, isn't it? Like, why is it down to this yeah, like, yeah. last minute now? Um, always the way. It's always a bloody way. Pain always in the ass. Um, but they, they got it over line. And then, they, and then the access guys walked into our room and were like, delighted to say the deal's going to go ahead with some champagne. Let's go into the deal room. But then signing the contracts, because most of our team had options as well. So we had to oh, sign wow. it on behalf of them. Yeah. So then we had this just table just full of contracts. So we were signing for like an hour, going round and round, signing all the papers. So we probably didn't leave their office, the, the lawyer's office, till like half eight p.m. What was that feeling like? Uh, yeah, yeah. Satisfaction. Really? Yeah. You're like... 
the th- good thing about an earnout is you don't have to make that rapid transition from everything to nothing. Mm. So we knew we had two years left. We knew the it was Friday night. We knew on the Monday we'd be back in the office with targets to hit. So did you did you at any point post that actually feel any sort of like wow right like I've sold it now and now I've got to be here for two years. I think because there was still quite a lot of money on the table. Right. Okay. It was more like, let's get the job done. Right, right, right. Yeah. And actually you feel, you're like, oh, okay, look, at least we, someone did want to buy us. Because mm. you can build a great company and no one wants to buy you. Yeah, yeah. So we're like, okay, well, look, someone, we've got X amount of money in our bank account tomorrow and someone has wanted to buy us. Now let's go and finish this fucking job. Um, it was a much different feeling after the two years from the everything to nothing. But before that, it was like, satisfaction is i think is the way to put it we're like okay we've done it like well mm. done mm. we didn't go wild we were just like okay like well done us we've achieved what we want to achieve we've made some of our team life-changing money as well which was a joy um yeah like well done like what's yeah we can move on to the next phase yeah. almost and when you got down to nothing yeah i've said it on a few podcasts before like the that week after we fully exited, which was end of 2019, so start of Jan 2020, so just before pandemic as well. Thank good fuck. Good timing. That. Yeah, that's oh very good timing. Lord. Didn't know that was around the corner. Um, Sheesh. We, it was the first time in my life where I did feel a bit depressed. And really? I was just like, oh, it's, you know, I've said like, when you want to reach the top of the mountain and you reach the top of the mountain, what's the next mountain? Mm-hmm. And for the first time in my life, I'd question like big themes like happiness, purpose. You know, I'd gone from being a bookworm at school and getting my grades to then going to university and getting my grades, going into a, a great grad scheme and excelling at L'Oreal and enjoying it to launching Design My Night, which was, a, you know, so it was just like, hey, do, 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 do. And never really, and in my mind, I was excelling and enjoying life. But when you're in that frame of life, it's very difficult to step back and think, um, you know, you're, you've got your pl- friends with your, your plans with your friends on the weekend and you're seeing your family and you've got your loved ones and, but it, does that bring you joy? Does that bring you pleasure? Does that bring you purpose? So obviously for me, design my night was my purpose for 10 years. And I, if I'd meet my mates, all they would ask about was design my night. When I went home to see my family, they would ask about design my night. My other half would talk about design my night. So design my night was my identity, um, which was fine. Um, cause it was, I was obsessed with it, but when it's gone, you're like, what did you learn? About your yeah. relationship with identity and purpose. From a sad point of view, which is why we're doing Trumpet, is Andrew and I were like, well, we actually love building businesses mm. and brands and products. I really enjoy that. Um, what we didn't necessarily love was managing a big team and the politics that go with that and an office and all of that which is why we brought in rory as the ceo which was questioned by some investors they were like well why aren't you two the ceo because you're the experienced founders 
you know, some questioned our involvement with Trumpet because of that. Interesting. But we were like, uh, it's the, you're looking at it totally the wrong way. Like, Andrew and I, if you give us the freedom to excel in what we love, which for me is brand, marketing, sales, Andrew loves products, uh, like data analysis, uh, you know, making data-led decisions. If you let, if you give us the freedom to do that, we'll do it really, really well without us getting bogged down in the day-to-day -day of running a business. And we have someone like Rory who's A, awesome, and B, a sales expert and has always wanted to be a founder uh, who can do all the day-to-day -day stuff of running a business, um, which frees up you know, your two other assets to do stuff that they love. And if you're letting Andrew and I do stuff that we'll love, we'll do it really, really well. So we sort of just had to reframe it to them. And it's not like we'd, we speak to Rory like every hour. So it's not like, you know, we just let him yeah. off into the sea to run yeah. Trumpet um, and hopefully passing on learnings to him on how to be a CEO. Um, so yeah, that was one point we were like, well, and then, so that's the model we came up with. So we were like, okay, well, let's build something new but with a lot less pressure and a lot less stress and not, you know, being in it day to day in the office, you know, and times have changed since COVID anyway, but. So how does the work, relationship work then with Raw? Like what's your actual? So I'm like CMO, Andrew's right, okay. like CPO. Right, okay. His CEO. Right, okay, um, that works, yeah, yeah, that's fine. And yeah, You've got your it areas, just works yeah. really well like that. Um, so there's that, and, and the other thing is just time, like just mm. time, you know, I'm I'm actually quite an insular person. So, you know, now I don't book any meetings before 11 a.m. And I really? will get up, I will walk to the gym um, at a reasonable hour. I'm at the gym at like half eight. I'm not in the gym at 5 a.m. So I've had my sleep. I get up calmly. Um, I have a half an hour walk to the gym where I'll listen to a podcast. Not always business. I think I'm listening to business podcasts all the time. Big Spurs fans. I listen to Spurs podcasts or fiction or whatever. Uh, I enjoy that walk in the morning. Uh, I would do the gym. All just calm, not like stressing to get back to my laptop. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll be showered and out of the gym, ready to start the day by like half nine or whatever. Uh, with the new ways of working, which I love, I don't have to go into the office. Um, and normally I've got lots of meetings anyway. Um, so, you know, I'm normally ready to go from like half nine, ten. But I'm like, I just, I don't want to open my diary and feel like I have to be rushed in the morning now. Whereas before design my night, I would be on the office at half eight before anyone um and just never gave myself time um so, do you know what this is amazing because most people who would look at your life exited founder buildings trumpet horseplay ventures pitch deck very busy advising investing in god knows what um hopefully luna but probably not <laughs> um would look at you and go fucking hell i bet he works hard I'm not saying you don't work hard. <laughs> you 100% do work hard, but your the way you work is fascinating because it's it being is, more purposeful. Yeah, because you you all of you you know if if you actually break down your day, you know if you're in an office or not, but you know like I have to be at my laptop at half eight mm. and I have to work till six o'clock or whatever. I think if you actually break down what you're doing mm. in that day, I always thought that with revising for exams, I'm um, bookworm, that I think I read somewhere that like your mental capacity is in like 35 to 45 minute chunks. There's no point thinking I'm going to sit down and do three hours revision no. 
it's I'm going to do a solid half an hour and then go and play football or something mm. and then come back and do another half an hour. I think that's the same, what this freedom and sort of clarity of thought that I've now allow myself in my day to day is just when I do stuff, I'm fully focused on it and it's adding value somewhere. So I don't let myself, you know, we were discussing before we t turn this on, like, you know, I don't actually go to loads of events or stuff unless I'm speaking at them or something. Um, we talked about the introversion, extroversion, uh, extroversion. But I said, what does it actually mean to you? And yeah. Your response was quite interesting. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, as an introverted extrovert, it's, uh, I can work a room. I can be on stage. You know, I'm actually very comfortable on the stage and talking to a big group if it's about something I know. Um, but it drains a lot of my energy. Whereas, you know, they say extroverts, that gives them the energy. Um, so, yeah, most people that meet me, you know, I'm not sort of quietly sitting in a corner or something like I will go to him. I can make conversation with anyone. I can ask someone a hundred questions and I, I am normally very interested in the people I meet. Um, but then I get home and I'm like absolutely like on empty. Um, so again, it's just, I know that's my personality. So I say no to a lot of things because I don't want to drain my energy. I want my energy on stuff that is important um, and beyond work. So social side of life as well. Um, so yeah, I, you know, if you look at my diary, I am very busy, but it's in short bursts. In short bursts and in a way that I just enjoy. Yeah. I think that's the one, you know, take money out of it. I think what selling design my night has given me is the freedom to find a new way to enjoy the day to day. Interesting. I'm under no pressure because of the finance, I suppose, to, to have to do anything like, you know, I'm very lucky that if I didn't have, if I didn't want to work, I don't have to work. So I could literally do fuck all, all day if I wanted and just play golf or whatever, or just sit at home. Um, but that's not me. So, you know, I get a buzz off of everything I'm doing. Um, but I've reframed it to do it in a way that I really enjoy my day to day. So it takes a lot for me to like break that morning routine now. And I'm a creature of habit, so I quite like routine. Mm, and, and I, me too. There's nothing worth worse, you know, looking at your diary for the next day and it's just like filled with stuff. And you're just like, oh, this is going to be like a long day. So, yeah, I try and fill it with stuff that's very purposeful for all the things I'm involved in, but stuff I enjoy as well. Mm. Um, People listening, please just tell hustle cultures to fuck off. Honestly. Yeah, like... And I was actually just having lunch with the next DMNS today. He started his own, his own business as well. And I was, I was asking him about his, you know, he was like, oh, I've sort of lost time to go to the gym. And he used to go to the gym. And, you know, I'm saying the gym as an example of whatever you want to do. Um, and I said, do you feel like you need to be opening your laptop at 9 a.m.? He was like, yeah, I think I do. And I was like, but why? Like, you know... No one's going to disrespect you because you're the founder and you're probably working till nine o'clock and Saturdays and Sundays anyway. So it's not like you're not working hard. You know, if you give yourself that extra hour, half an hour in the morning, um, you'll just feel a lot better and a lot more energized and no one will think any ill of it. And especially in this now world where we work, where it's flex. And, you know, if you want to start at six o'clock or if you want to start at 11 a.m. and finish at 8 p.m., you do that. Um, 
we've just, yeah, I think especially my generation is very much like the nine to five. And that goes the same for being a founder. So if I'm a founder, I need to be setting an example that I'm on the nine o'clock. Um, and it's taken a lot of effort for me to do this with Trumpet, but, you know, I really reframe, you know, that my, I'm just not, I'm not on Slack all day, but if you ask me something, unless it's urgent, um, I will get back to you and it will be a thoughtful response rather than just mm. jabbering back and forward all day, mm. like an extra WhatsApp. Um, like if you're going to come to me on Slack, let's make decisions about something. Um, so just everything becomes a bit more purposeful. Um, it's the same with meetings. I was chatting this Rory the other day. If we've got a half an hour meeting, let's see if we can do it in 15 minutes. Like, let's just cut down all the shit. Um, I speak to you every day already. Um, you know, we don't need all the pleasantries back and forth. Like what are we trying to solve here in this meeting? Let's just try and get it done. Um, you know, I'm not saying you take all the pleasantries out of business, but we're just in this culture that just like meetings go on for like probably 20 minutes longer than they need to just cause of pleasantries and bullshit back and forward. Like people just waffle on and on and on, which is a big thing as an investor. Like when I like a deck and I speak to a founder, if they like waffle their answers back to me, I'm just totally turned off by that. Really? Yeah. I'm just like, it almost shows me that you're justifying something negative mm. by just waffling on and on. I'd much prefer you to come with like, yeah, I know the answer to this and it's ABC done. Next question. Um, so yeah. Um, and that's a language thing. I think because I love languages and I've learned languages that being succinct in how you write and speak is a real skill. Um, that I'm still learning. Um, I um, liked your uh, email to me last night, which Dream Factory we were recording at, <laughs> which was very brief. Yeah, because that's like, how hey, I am. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, yeah. Do you have a good day? I fucking hate Thanks that. Thanks a lot. I'm, I just needed an answer. I'm so brief. It's not to be rude. Yeah, but, you know I'm not yeah. a dick. So no, it's just like no. where we meet. Yeah. And I just replied, um, Rivington. <laughs> and here I am yeah, in Rivington. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think all of that is part of this new way of try, she's just trying to work mm. more effectively mm. I like it mate we've done an hour oh, this is um, I've loved it <laughs> I've enjoyed it too nice oh, to have a most, chat yeah, yeah that's the most important part we've been speaking on and off from various parts of LinkedIn and um, and it's finally nice to sit down with you and likewise and um, make a new friend We'll see about that. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck's sake. Um, thank you for getting vulnerable. Thank you for talking. And thank you for... I know you haven't specifically suffered mentally like other founders we've had on here. But do you know what? Like, We have a lot of founders who just want to hear somebody who's done it say mm -hmm. it's all right. <laughs> it is all right. I know, it, it is all right. It? And, and uh, whilst it's sad, it, but equally it's so important. Because at the end of the day, everything like we get stuck in front of our computers. We think the world's going to end. Like, yeah. if sometimes it doesn't work out, yeah, and that's all right as well. That is fine. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's okay. Again. Not every idea right. is going to be a success, no, unfortunately. You just got to pick yourself back up somehow. Crack but on. equally, you've you've done it, and it wasn't easy, but you've done it. Yeah, like yeah, but you know, I didn't give you any big roadblocks, but there were roadblocks. Yeah. So um, yeah, I think you've just got to dust yourself down. Um, and go again yeah um, and it's not always easy to do but if you can get in that mindset 
um, you'll be in your head a lot less, mm. which will then give you better clarity when you're making decisions. I think. Nice. Top man. <laughs>